to the Corinne Barraclough Show. I've got a crack-up of an interview for you this week. Paul Horton is a former police officer who was involved in the Lint Cafe siege and diagnosed with PTSD. He contacted me as he wants to talk about his experience with the family law system. You won't want to miss that. A few people have asked for my thoughts on the Sam Burgess case. I, like many of you, am keeping a close eye on this one. Last week, the lawyer for Sam labelled allegations of drug use and domestic violence as orchestrated propaganda and retaliation. Interestingly, the Sydney Morning Herald reports that Sam's ex, Phoebe, handed a 50-page affidavit over to police six days after Sam made an, an application to the family court, believed to be in relation to the couple's children. Sam's lawyer said, our position, quite bluntly, is this appears to be born out of malice or retaliation. Let's see how this all progressive, but lots of this is already sounding very familiar, isn't it? Now, we need to talk about the UN Women's series of man-bashing tweets. Their messaging reads as if it's come straight from the radical feminist's handbook, and it's so concerning that we've all just accepted this rubbish. There's talk of gender stereotypes, intersectionality, unpaid domestic work, motherhood penalty systemic inequalities and, of course, the gender pay gap. Honestly, the list is endless. Look at this one. Man up, it says. Boys don't cry. Boys will be boys. Gender stereotypes and toxic masculinity are harmful to women and girls, as well as to men and boys. Now, how about doing the same, focusing on how the gender stereotype of the helpless victim is a form of toxic femininity that's hurtful to boys and men, as well as women and girls. Oh no, that's right, that won't secure any funding, so let's pretend that gender stereotypes only work one way. This nonsense notion that boys are have innate traits which are toxic is itself a toxic narrative. This UN Women account is all about feminist propaganda. It's all a power play. Who pays for it, you may well ask? Well, the answer is you. In 2016, Australia was the UN's 13th biggest national donor. As a country, we chipped in $748 million. Elevating one gender to a position of supremacy is not equality. It causes untold damage, and we see the ripple effect of this through society and through family law. It all plays a part in how we arrive at a place in society where women are supposedly above criticism. They don't lie, apparently. They don't make false allegations. They aren't evil, aren't motivated by power or money or any other vice, and it's all rubbish. Now, I want to get into my interview. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Paul Horton is a former police officer who was involved in the Lint Cafe siege and was diagnosed with PTSD. Now he wants to speak about his horrendous experience with the family law system. Remember, this is someone who served their country, our country. He left the police force with PTSD, considerable mental health challenges. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is how, as a society, we have repaid him. So Paul Horton is a former police officer who was involved with the Lynch Cafe siege and diagnosed with PTSD. 
he contacted me because he wants to talk about his experience with the family law system. But first of all, Paul, can I get you to go back and say a little bit about the cafe siege and how that affects you? Yeah, um, yeah. So my involvement was um, <clears throat> was hostage um, recovery, uh, which is um, a bit of a unique position in in the, in the police. It probably wasn't something that um, they originally planned for, but my role was to, um, as the hostages escaped, was to take them to safety and take them to the command post. And, and unfortunately, how, how things played out was that one hostage um, escaped and I, I moved to be quite close to, to the siege, um, to the cafe, sorry. Um, and, and that's when the, the entry was, was initiated. Um, so then I was um, subsequently involved uh, with the removal of, of the victims from from the cafe. And what kind of things were you struggling with afterwards? What kind of symptoms were were you battling? Uh, yeah, really, not knowing my head, unable to to wind down because um, you know the the the, the thoughts would, would come back uh, into my head of the the cafe. So. Um, I was always on the go, um, yeah. which allowed me to function quite well at work. But at home, I became detached from my family and I had to be present with them. Yes. So when you were diagnosed with PTSD, you'd had problems with your memory as well. Is that right? Memory and memory concentration and poor yeah. sleep. Um, yeah. So when you were diagnosed with PTSD, was it almost a relief to have some kind of labelling around what was going on and what strategies you could use to cope with that? Oh, it was, yeah, it was a, an awakening moment um, once you realise what the symptoms are and, and the reasons for your behaviours. Um, you know, uh, I did three weeks as an inpatient uh PTSD course and it's the best thing I've ever done um, and, 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 and going through that I, I, I can identify many other colleagues that, that also suffer in silence. Um, it's quite common in, in the police, yeah. Does it worry you, mental health of lots of the people that you're surrounded by? Uh, it, it does but it's, I guess it's, it's part of culture. It's, it, um, um, you know, I was guilty of it as well. When when people would go off work sick, um, you know, you'd say, oh, they're weak. And it's kind of a coping mechanism. I'm stronger than them. I'm still in the police. I'm still surviving. But you're not you're not living much of an existence. It's, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your experience with family law. And just to be clear before we get into this, no harm ever came to your children because of your mental health issues. That's correct, isn't it? Yes. And your trial ended in August? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit of background there? I understand that there was a period of time where you didn't see your children. Was that for several months? Yes, yeah, so I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2015. Um, as I said, I was hospitalised. Um, my ex-wife was aware of that. She visited me in the hospital. Um, we separated shortly after my diagnosis. Um, and... Um, at that time, I would assert that I was the primary care for the children um, because she worked full time. She was also she is also a police officer, so 
I had care of the children when she worked um, by myself. There was never any issues raised. Um, and then I entered the, the realms of, so three years later in 2018, I entered the realms of family court and my life just changed, yeah, dramatically. It's insane how, um, yeah, what happened. Talk me through some of that. I understand that there were some false allegations made. Yes, there was an AVO, didn't exist, the police took that out. Uh, I, I made some threats of self-harm when, when I was in 2015. Um, and then, so the police took out an AVO. Um, uh, that was a provisional AVO that was never um, finalised. Um, and, and I was, wasn't in any estate to contest anything. So I just consented that and, 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 to, and to allow that. But once I entered for uh, yeah, family court, there were false allegations of, of physical assaults um, uh, and there was no evidence to su support any of that. Um, and it was in June uh, 2000, uh, forget, never forget this, in June 2018, um, it was a Tuesday, I was at the family court with the mother's solicitor. We were viewing the subpoena material together. Uh, they subpoenaed every single mental health practitioner I've ever seen. Um, and then I, I dropped my, my, my daughters to school on the Wednesday. I, I did reading groups with my younger daughter's class. And then half an hour later, um, the school rang me and said the mothers picked them up from school. Um, you know, there was no, we just had an agreement that I cared for the children when she worked. And that agreement was in place for three years. Um, and then I never saw the children for four months. Um, no phone calls, nothing. Uh, they made an urgent application to say that I was a risk to my children. I was unable to care for my children. Um, you know, I, I always maintained I, I cared for them for three years um, and there wasn't any issues raised. I moved on with my life. I remarried. I had another partner in the house um, and they never went to school for 10 days and um, I presented a case and said the children will come back to school uh, if you orders that you would not contact or approach the kids do not contact or approach the school because they said that they were worried about me attending the school. Um, and my solicitor, in hindsight, said to me, you know, you need to be reasonable and get the kids back to school. And I, I thought I was doing the right thing and I thought the family court would look favourable on me doing what's best for the children. Uh, so I, I ultimately signed consent orders that, that I have no contact for the children. And I thought that would only be in place for a short period of time. Um, and those consent orders got 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 converted into interim orders, um, and we ne we never had an interim hearing. It was um, in chambers decision. Um, I, I had my, uh, my my treating psychiatrist and my treating psychologist to maintain that I wasn't a risk to my children, um, and the only uh, you know all they ever said was that they were concerned about my mental health never specified what the concern was, what the risk was to my children. And ultimately, uh, on the interim basis, I, I was, I, after not seeing my children for four months, uh, I was allowed to see them for four hours a fortnight with a supervisor. Um, I had to have a supervisor attend my wedding. Uh, my children were flower girls um, at my wedding. And it's a completely degrading process to have a stranger travel in in the limousine 
um, with, with your wife and to sit at your bridal table um, to help you care for, for, for a children which you've cared for for eight or ten years with, without, without ever an issue ever raised. Um, but we went for that process. I was only meant to be supervised for three months. Um, and then, the, then I was meant to move on to family supervision. Then the mother opposed family supervision. So I had to, I was forced to pay the supervision company for 15 months. Uh, so something was only meant to be short, extended for a, for a long, long period. Um, and finally, I, I went to see the, the family experts um, who reiterated that they, I didn't pose a risk to my children. Even at that time, the children weren't returned in my care. I had to file at the court to have overnight time to increase time. Um, and it's only now that we go that we've had a final hearing that 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 the judge has read the material, and he's determined that I'm not a risk. So, and it, ultimately, it's really just previously I had six nights of fortnight uh, and no weekend access, but now I've it, it just it, it was done by consent. Um, but it's gone to five nights a fortnight and every second weekend. So I just went through two years of complete upside down lunacy. I, I can't even begin to explain um, for it to ultimately go back to pretty much what it was. Tell me what all of the, I mean, it sounds horrendous um, and unfortunately very common experience to be stuck in this kind of, nightmare scenario where nothing is actually getting sorted, nothing's getting fixed, nothing's um, access to children is still being denied. Tell me how hard all of that process was and the impact it had on your mental health. Uh, it, it was hard um, because I took my mental health recovery very seriously. I attended every appointment. I took my medication. I never missed anything. But, uh, you know, when I attended the family court, I, it was kind of almost made out like I was in some drug-induced psychosis and I was just this this untreated person. I, I couldn't do any more for my mental health. Um, and I thought as a society that we, we've moved on so much further than, than the stigma that was attached to it. Um, all they ever say is, you've got a mental health condition, you are a risk to your children. They never articulate what that risk is. And the reasons, you know, why it was just you have PTSD. We don't believe you can look after your children. The end. Um, and actually, it wasn't until January 2020 that I filed for more time. And the, that was the first time the question was ever asked to the mother solicitor, what were the risks? And th this is probably 15 months after she picked them up and she could not articulate what the risk was, you know. She, she was fluffing. Oh, it's quantitative. It's quantitative. The more the more time he has, the more risk he has. It's just, um, yeah. It's I, I, I can't. I struggle to even put into words to explain it. You know. Yeah. No, you're doing a very good job. Tell me, as a former police officer, which obviously is very focused on evidence, how does this whole notion of decisions and you know, we're not talking about small decisions here. We're talking about life-changing decisions, and we're talking about children's lives and children's health, ultimately. How does the whole notion of decisions um, being made with zero evidence fit with you? Yeah, not well. Um, so on an interim basis, my, uh, there was a decision was given sole, sole parental responsibility to the mother um, because of family violence. Um, and 
yeah, I, I was I struggled to understand that there was no evidence to support that. Um, and then we fast forward in two years, and and we we have equal shared responsibility. So I, I, I don't know how that decision was made on an interim basis for Seoul. And that ultimately resulted in my children being removed from school and, and moved uh, an hour away from me, uh, which, again, was a strategic move uh, in the family court, I believe, to, to disrupt my, my, my time with them. Um, I, I would have loved to have an interim hearing and, and at least been asked the questions, um, you know, statements like, I have a phone full of abusive messages, but I can't download them. You know, where and then on the other side, I, I produce fifty pages of, of pleasant messages. You know, and and you still you still lose that argument. It it it, it baffles me. I, I don't understand it at all. Uh, the system is almost backwards. It, it should have um, all the the, the facts finding and all the evidence should be heard um, earlier because I, I went through two years of hell and and if we were able to test that evidence in within the first six months i wouldn't have been in this position and you know my, my relationship with with my children has suffered um be, because for two years i wasn't part of their life and I, I can never get that time back um you know even when the family re report writer said i wasn't a risk it still took months for me to have unsupervised access um and ultimately my trial was was um was meant to be in April, and then two weeks before the trial date, the the mother mother said she ran out of money, and now she's self representing, and so she used the because she raised allegations of domestic violence, she received legal aid funding for a solicitor, so they couldn't get her a solicitor in time. So again, my matter got adjourned another four months for her to get legal aid representation, which. All, all up, it, it cost me close to $250,000 just to be part of my children's life. Um, the, 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 the trial cost me 40000 for something that we, we consented to on the first day. I don't know why that couldn't have been achieved in April. Um, but again, uh, money um, and, and depriving the other party of money is also a strategy in the family court. Uh, that was made well, well, well clear to me. Um, you know, like, like it's, it's, I just don't understand a father who, who's done nothing wrong, um, been diagnosed with a mental illness, is forced, for, forced to just to be part of his children's life to fight, just to be part. I never asked to be the primary carer. I never asked for, the, I just asked for a, a fair and reasonable amount of time with my children. And it ultimately cost me, yeah, $250,000 um, and two years of their lives with, with, with me. Um, and, and I've seen them suffer in the process, um, yeah. You said to me in your initial message that you want people to know how hard it is to be a dad in the family court and also the impact on innocent children. What are the key things you want to let people know? Well, my first solicitor, a comment he made to me, um, which would never leave me, he said, to dad, you're never going to get more than five or six nights a fortnight. Uh, and he made that statement and, and, and he didn't um, justify it at all. And the first thing I have in my head is why, you know, why, why do I not get equal rights? Um, and in reality, at that time, I wasn't working. I, I, I could be there for the children as they needed to be, as, as I was for the last three years. Um, 
I just feel that you are a, a second-class citizen. Um, and another example of that is, like I said, my, my ex-wife is a police officer. Uh, PTSD is common within the New South Wales Police. She's shown signs of it. Um, so I subpoenaed her medical uh, history, and that was objected to on the grounds that it was uh, continued abusive and controlling behaviour by me. And they've, they just subpoenaed every single doctor I have ever seen, um, and I just wanted a little bit of equity. So that subpoena was, was struck out, and I was even said, they even told me, are, are you saying that, that she's a risk to the children? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not. But PTSD is common in the police, and, and she's shown signs of that. And she's saying, I can't care for my children because I have PTSD. Well, that would apply to her also. Well, you know, I wouldn't imagine docs come in and remove the children because she's been diagnosed with PTSD. And they said, because, because I'm not saying that she's a risk to the children, that I, I can't get access to those subpoena documents. So I find that if you are reasonable in the family court, that you, there is no place for that. You know, the, the, the unreasonable behaviour gets rewarded. Um, you know, if you're reasonable, you say, look, she's got struggles, but I think she can care for the children. They don't want to hear that. You know, they want to hear they're a risk and, and we want no access because that's what happened to, to, to me. And, you know, what really strikes me also, there's so much talk in the news, like from politicians, and we're constantly hearing conversations about mental health right now. And yet we have an entire legal system that does a lot of damage to people's mental health, people like you. People, um, not everyone obviously has had your previous experience with the police or, or even has PTSD, but um, were, I would imagine very few people in Australia that would know that the family law court system does a lot of damage to people's mental health. How much does it jar with you? Um, and how much does it feel like empty, empty gestures when funding is poured into um, mental health um, organisations and yet we've, we've got this really dark, sinister side of family law going on at the same time? Yeah, it, it, it was completely degrading. I, I would sit there and the judge would make, you know, comments like, you know, the father has, you know, significant mental health issues and uh, I'd just be sitting there and, and saying, you've never met me, you, you, you don't know me. I don't think you've even read anything of, of, of my file, but uh, I believe that makes their case easier. If they could just knock one parent out and give the orders the other way, they don't actually have to delve into, into you know, all the, all the little intricacies of, of, of the case. Um, you know, for me, no one ever said I was a risk to my children other than the mother. And, you know, I lost access to my children. It just still blows my mind. I, I would have, like I said, going into an inpatient and doing a PTSD course was one of the best things I've ever done. And, and actually, I, I wanted to go again. But going through the family court, I, I couldn't. I couldn't get the treatment that... that I, I didn't need to go there because I was acute or anything like that, just to freshen up and to get more knowledge about my condition. But I knew if I dare went in as an inpatient again, I would, there would be zero chance I'd ever get my children back. So it actually negatively impacts your treatment because, and, and every single doctor I've ever seen and every single psychiatrist, psychologist, they were just subpoenaing everyone. So it, it actually hinders your... Your, your treatment because you're always mindful of what's the next subpoena going to be and, and how how are they going to manipulate this statement that was said 
you know, that they completely take it out of context to, to create a monster. And, and, and these solicitors, um, you know, I believe are responsible. They have no psychological background and yet they, they take a snippet from this report and they'll take a snippet from that report and they ultimately do create a monster, um, but it's all completely out of context. All the reports that they ever relied on, at no time was I ever asked, how am I where I'm, when I'm caring for my children? None of those reports ever had anything to do with me and parenting. Um, and it wasn't until I went to the, to the family expert report that we, we, we talked about how I am with the children and how I function with the children. Um, because in, in reality, I, I was a lot better because the children gave me purpose, they gave me focus, um, mm. and, and I wasn't alone with my thoughts. But no one in the family court ever bothered to even ask, how are you with your children, you know? No, no one ever sought independent, or it was just a, a skewed representation uh, supplied by a solicitor who, you know, they, they've got their agenda, and that's to put get the best result for their client. Yeah, Not, exactly. Uh, and it's got nothing to do with the children. I, I think removing a repair, removing a parent from a child's life is 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 extreme, um, particularly when there's not even a, an allegation any harm has ever ever done. And they acknowledge I'm a good dad. They would say that. You're, yep, he's a good dad. Um, the kids love him. Uh, he loves the kids, but he's just a risk. And it just it, it I never understood it. No, it sounds like it's literally been in the nightmare. Just before I let you go, um, tell me how, how are you doing and how are the kids doing now? Yeah, and, and that's the other thing. I've, I've, I'm remarried. I've, I've got another child who's eight months old, and, and that's the lunacy of the family court too. I was supervised with an eight- and ten-year-old while my wife's pregnant, um, and potentially I, I could have been caring for a newborn and still been supervised um, to care for an eight-, eight and ten-year-old. Um, that, that was never, no one ever said I was a risk to, to my newborn, but I was a risk to my eight, eight and 10 year old. I've, I've moved on with my life. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've got my, yeah, get myself back on my feet. I've got new employment, remarried, yeah, new baby. I've got my kids back in my life. So, uh, it's just a shame that I just had to go through and they had to go through two years of unnecessary, um, I don't even have the words for it. I don't, yeah. And, and the cost of it as well. Um, I, I, I can't even, um, I, I, can't, doesn't, I can't bear to think how much money I've wasted um, for, at the end of the day, really nothing, because um, it just went back to what it, what it was. So. Well, you've obviously been incredibly strong and, um, and done really, really well to hang in there. What little gem of advice would you give to other men who are going through similar experiences now? Uh, yeah, you do just have to hang in there. Um, they try to break you, um, the, the, the solicitors, um, you know, uh, there was a few sayings that stand out to me and it said that if you're hungry, uh, you know, a, a starving man won't wait for dinner, he'll eat the crumbs. So starve you with time with your children and just offer, here's, here's a weekend every now and then and you're so desperate, you're so desperate that you'll take that. And there's, there was many a times, there was many a times I wanted to give up um, but I, like I had the support of my new wife who really kept me going um, and also trying to break you financially. Uh, I, I was fortunate. I was in a position that I, that I could continue. Um, you know, I, I was paying child support 500 a fortnight and supervision 600 a fortnight, which was ex extreme out of anybody's, you know, weekly wage. And 
I even wrote to child support for a reassessment and, and the mother responded with, if, if you can't afford to see your children, you should see them less. And at that time I was seeing them six hours a fortnight. And, you know, I literally could not afford to live at that point. Um, but child support couldn't help me. Um, and, and that's what I, I believe there, there was a strategy to, to, to break me financially because if I had to give up because of finances, I, I would never see my children again. And, and I, I, I struggled to see how many um, parents w would have to be in that position. And I couldn't imagine being forced to have it give up because of lack of funds. Um, is just a completely unreasonable process. Yeah, absolutely. Unreasonable, completely unfair. And um, as we said, being trapped in the nightmare for many years at great cost. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for contacting me and thanks for um, telling your story. Thanks, Corinne. Makes you sick, doesn't it? $250,000 spent fighting to stay in his children's lives. Brad Pitt is also currently fighting to stay in his children's lives and it has to be said money is clearly no obstacle for him not like most average dads who don't have access to an endless stream of money or access to the best legal team brad pitt's trial has just begun he's reportedly going to fight for 50 50 custody why does one parent have to fight for the right to see their children this is just plain wrong and if you get unlucky with a bitter or vengeful ex, your nightmare looks set to be even worse. Equal custody, I believe, should be automatic unless there is tangible evidence of abuse. Everywhere, all around us, we see the world pushing for equality. Why not in child custody? Why not? There's plenty of evidence showing how valuable fathers are in the lives of their children and equally, the damage that can be done to children who have an absent father. Why do we stand in the way of men who want to look after their children? One day soon, I hope we look back at all this crap and say, mm, we really had our definition of equality messed up. As I've said a million times before, children are not weapons. I've had a flurry of messages recently from women saying that their partner's ex is withholding access to the children since they were told about the man's new relationship. Spiteful women, it seems, especially, have a habit of using children as a last bit of control over a man. And all along, it's the children that suffer. What a mess. And as usual this week, there have been the same regular flow of news stories which show that women are no better than men. Here, a woman has been charged with stabbing her partner in Tweed Heads, who's reportedly in a critical condition. A woman who slashed and stabbed her former girlfriend 58 times as she lay in agony on the ground, unable to move after falling from a fifth floor balcony, will serve at least 19 years in prison. And there was this terrible story about a woman found dead who had previously suffered 17 years of hell at the hands of her sadistic mother. It's reported Victoria Spry was subjected to physical and mental torture for 17 years. This evil mother forced her foster children to eat their own excrement and vomit. They were locked in their rooms for weeks at a time. Victoria Spry 
dedicated her life to helping protect other vulnerable children and now she's been found dead at the age of 35. Police confirmed that her death was not suspicious. Absolutely heartbreaking. Some children don't know what normal life is and some women are scarred for life by the horrific abuse at the hands of their own mother. Society doesn't want to talk about that, of course. Society is too busy yapping about toxic masculinity and funding the ridiculous organisations like the UN that has zero clue. Right, that's enough Barraclough now. See you next week. The Corin Barraclough Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Corin Barraclough. To watch, listen to or read more new media without the social justice warrior narratives or politically correct fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 